Hello, and welcome to The Scott Mize Show, a podcast focused on health, diet, bodybuilding, and philosophy. I interview experts, doctors, coaches, and N equals one case studies to answer your questions about improving health, achieving your best physique, and making sustainable progress. We'll cover topics from carnivore and ketogenic diets, to bodybuilding, to life philosophy, and everything in between. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by LMNT Electrolytes. This month, we're switching it up with an exclusive offer that's only for VIP LMNT partners, including CarnivoreCast listeners. You can now receive this free sample pack along with any regular purchase when you use my custom link, which is provided in the show notes or my Instagram link in bio. That's drinklmnt.com forward slash CarnivoreCast, all one word. And as I said, I'll include the link in the show notes. LMNT electrolytes are convenient evidence-based and delicious and get yours today to help support the show. Thank you. Dr. Christopher S. Black is a chiropractor who focuses on the healing needs of the entire family. He's the owner of Doc Black Family Chiropractic. Dr. Black helps his patients think differently about their journey back to health by utilizing traditional chiropractic care along with structural chiropractic correction. Dr. Black has been leveraging a carnivore diet with himself and his patients with great success. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. So who is the carnivore chiropractor? How well, do you I guess, get to be the carnivore chiropractor? <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's something that's more rapidly evolved as of late, but it's something that I think has been kind of spin through my journey uh, from chiropractic school, although I didn't know it. You know, at age 16, I went to a chiropractor for myself. And he explained the story. I didn't have any conditions, but he talked to me about chiropractic and something just clicked. And I knew at 16, I wanted to be a chiropractor. So I was young, naive. I entered um, undergraduate school. And this was in the early 90s, late 80s, during the heyday of what I thought like bodybuilding was and all of that, you know, going to GNC and eating Weeders, Brewers yeast and all these weird things because we didn't have you know, the internet and we didn't have the technology. So we studied things like muscle and fitness and, and the technology of the day. And it was really carbohydrate loading and performance based on what we knew there. So I had come from that model of understanding and I go to chiropractic school. And through that education, um, some of the things that drew me to chiropractic was it was different. It was opposite to what the mainstream was. And that was appealing to me. But there was a instructor in our nutrition class who was overweight, terribly sick looking, but he had said he was going to take himself off of his diabetic medications by eating eggs and bacon and butter and, you know, giving up all this. So it was early Atkins and this was in the nineties. And I was like, this guy is completely out of his mind. What is he talking about? Of course he needs carbohydrates. He need, you know, I couldn't even wrap my head around that. Although I was thinking completely different in a lot of aspects of my life. But in that nutritional model, then I was like, this guy's crazy. And, you know, and I don't know what he was doing. So I couldn't even accept what he was saying. Um, so I get into practice as a chiropractor and we're taking care of people and that's great. And it's similar to a, a Ken Berry story. You know, I'm taking care of others, not taking care of myself. I'm getting a little bit older, started to have a family. So, you know, I'm telling patients what to do, but yet, you know, my pant size is getting bigger and I'm looking at some pictures now that they're on the phone I can see different angles of myself more readily I didn't have to develop pictures so I was like oh my god I'm looking like this this is not great 
So then, you know, South Beach Valiant had come out. So, okay, that made a little bit of sense. So we kind of dabbled with that. And I had gone to some seminars and they were talking about, you know, the evils of seed oils. This was going back when. But again, my mind wasn't quite right there to grasp that. And then I had some success with uh, cutting out some low carbohydrates at the time, but never really understanding why. Went back to that standard American just routine, serving my people, not taking care of myself gaining some weight and not really being as healthy as I needed to be. And at like five, maybe eight years ago, um, because I take all care of all kinds of patients and um, a lot of really sick people that you wouldn't necessarily think were traditional chiropractic patients. But I had this one family come in and their daughter had suffered from horrible um, life altering seizure disorder. And I mean, she'd be hospitalized at times and her life was completely in array. And she was a very, very sick young lady. And they thought that, well, we've tried almost everything out. Let's try chiropractic care. And I opened her my, my office up with open arms and I said, let's see what we can do. It's, I, don't, I don't even know, but let's try. And through our conversations and dialogue, she had explained that she was trying to treat her daughter with a ketogenic diet. I'm like, oh, what is that? Like, I didn't even connect. So I researched it from my own self-knowledge and I was like, oh, okay, now I'm starting to understand what that guy 20 years ago was trying to explain in a very terribly way. And it kind of brought together some of my understanding overall of the years of nutrition. I said, oh, let me try it because it really makes sense to me, A, and B, it's different than what they're teaching us and telling us in, you know, in the real world. So, well, it's got to be true then, so let's try it. And I tell you, I started to really be in the ketogenic model. I like the fact that at the point I could monitor my ketone values through blood. And, you know, I could really grasp that and it helped me kind of figure things out. And boy, I, you know, of course, you lose the weight, you feel better. My aches and pains went away. Like literally everything that you and I hear about on a daily basis, we're like, oh my gosh, this really works. And when I deviated from it, say I had a bad weekend, we ate, you know, whatever, crap, I would suffer. I would feel the aches and pains in the shoulders and the knees. I was like, oh, there's something to this. So then probably like most of our community, you know, you're flipping through the podcast sector and there's this burly orthopedic surgeon on the Joe Rogan show talking about carnivore. And I was like, holy cow, this guy's kind of great. Like he's, yeah, I'm talking about Sean Baker. And I'm like, this is amazing what he's talking about. And I said, well, let me try that. And like I explained to our other friend the other day that my journey through to carnivore is kind of like the journey through as a martial artist. I started the martial arts early. You're introduced to a discipline and you're a white belt. So you're introduced to, hey, maybe you should stop processed foods. Okay, so I'm a white belt. Then I start to eat more salad and more, so I'm more into the keto realm. And then I start to go and I feel that the mastery of this carnivore is almost like being a black belt because you figured out what does work, what doesn't work. And now to be a master, and I'm not a master by any means because I learn every day from listening to your podcast as well as the others, that I'm trying to develop my own style because I know what works for me and I've seen it work and not work for some other people and I can make recommendations and I push some people to this authority because I know that this one might not work for them. So I'm now facilitating um, the journey to others through my practice in a more carnivore diet. So. I really found that, it, like even the masters will say, you know, the, the simpler you are, the more effective you are. And the carnivore diet can't be any more simpler. And it's extremely effective. And it brings us right back to our roots. So 
through my own personal journey, I found that's absolutely what works for me. The patients that have taken this step with me have had amazing results. It's allowed my chiropractic care to become more effective with them because if they are sick and if they're not a healthy vessel to receive care because they're medicated, they're eating toxic foods, they're inflamed, if they are not well, sometimes our society is so sick, they don't even know they're sick, if that makes sense. So when they saw the transformation through me, and we are, I guess, a secular, we are how we look, and people assume if you're not carrying weight, oh, you must be healthy. And that not, isn't necessarily true, but that's what they see. They see that transformation. They're open to it. And then they realize, wow, I really wasn't healthy. I was feeling some results from the adjustments of the chiropractic care, but boy, I'm so much better now. I don't need as many adjustments, which is bad for me in one sense, but now I'm only kidding. That's my mission. But yet they're just more healthy so that they can take any intervention, particularly chiropractic, and utilize it better. They exercise better. They receive, you know, they handle their massages better. They just they're better people. Now look at the information that's showing that they're cognitively better. Their mental health is better. So it's really been an exciting journey. And that was probably a really long introductory answer. But here no, I am. that's fantastic. <laughs> really interesting. I love the analogy of the white belt to black belt mentality. And, and that's kind of how I've looked at it. Because, you know, you're, you're as a white belt, you come in and you're really naive and you're nervous. Oh, my God, should I try it? What is my family going to say if I don't eat bread on my hamburger? Like, we'll all go to McDonald's and I'll throw away the bread. Oh, my God, what's wrong with you? Uh, I'm just not eating the bread, right? You know, it's like, oh. Then you start to develop your own confidence, your skills, but yet you're still nervous. You're rigid in what you do. You have to rely a lot on maybe your mentors, and that's a wonderful thing. But then you start to develop your own mastery. And you're like, I know what works for me, and I really know what doesn't work for me. And having that freedom and that safety net of what you've created as well as other people have created is just amazing because some people resonate with you. Some people don't. Some people don't resonate with the next guy. And it's important to gather information and the things that you do by bringing on the different guests. It's just tremendous because you're not only doing it for a lay person, but I learn every day. I don't listen to the radio. I listen to your podcast. I listen to the others because even if I've heard the same speaker speak three different times, they're going to share with you something different than they did not. Oh, I didn't think of it that way. And I'll steal it and I'll use it. And it sounds great. You know, but we are sharing here on this journey and uh, it's really been fun. Yeah, that's flattering. And, and it's awesome to see you putting that into practice. Um, and and Chris, what are some of the ways in which you're finding, you, you talked about like finding what works for you and experimenting. How have you done that for yourself and, and maybe with your patients as well? Yeah, you know, I've, through this journey, I've kind of dabbled and I like to really um, try different things. I know that the big thing for me is I have admittedly, I am an admitted carbohydrate addict. It's absolutely real. And anybody who says it isn't is a complete liar because I am completely an addict. And it started probably a childhood, right? I mean, you start be giving these foods, you get the taste for them and what it does to your body. It's that. And then that regret, it's a complete system. So as I've become more strict and more understanding, the elimination of those things is absolute paramount. I'm, I cannot be a dabbler. I have to be an abstainer. I have to not have it. And one of the triggers, if it's in the house, would be like peanut butter. I'm just going to have a little bit of peanut or, or something is a trigger for me. And that takes me into a horrible 
downward turn. And that for me is that. Some people can go out and have a slice of pizza tomorrow and not have a problem. For me, that just fuels some other things. So I need more self-discipline. So with my patients, I've helped them try to understand that it is a journey. We're all human. And one of the things that I've said before is we need to love ourselves enough to kind of question the things that we even do. We have to love ourselves enough to realize that we're human and we can fail. And not everybody stays on the track perfectly every day for the rest of their lives. But we have to really go, okay, I had a bad choice. Well, I'm going to start better on the next one. Tomorrow's another day. We, you know, we can move forward with that. But we have to have that kind of self-love to question what we're told, try to do the things that are best for us, and then kind of move forward. So just recently, since my last podcast with Casey, I've been in the I'm a, a coffeeaholic. I worked in the coffee industry before chiropractic school. Love coffee, breathe coffee. It's a multi-sensory thing. I make the coffee. It's warm. It's a process. Since then on St. Patrick's Day, I said, you know, I'm going to try it, not because of any dogmatic research or anything that said I really needed to, although some of it does make sense, particularly with the quantity I was drinking. Let me try. I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop cold turkey. I tell you, that was a rough week and a half. I was so addicted. The headaches and the toxicity that my body was going through was unbelievable. So to me, that's an end of one to say, maybe that volume of coffee I was having was really not a good thing. So then just this week, I really had been listening to another guy and he was talking about dry fasting. So again, completely outside of my cognitive comfort zone, I said, I'm going to try it for a couple of days. So I'm coming off of a multi-day dry fast. Not scary and bad. I mean, I don't know if it's for everybody. It was more of a, a mental discipline thing. I think I feel great. I'm not hungry, you know, but the thought of not consuming liquids was scary, right? Because we're told you can't, you know, live two days without liquids. But fascinating, look at some of the research, you know, your body kind of finds a way, it purges itself out and you'll, yeah, again, not a long-term thing, but pretty interesting to do. So I'm experimenting with myself and then I will share those stories through the course of my day with patients who I feel that might need it. And, uh, and in a passive loving way, it kind of, you, you kind of keep throwing the same story out to certain people that you know need the message. And then at one point they go, oh, you know, I was trying what you said. Well, I've been saying it for 10 years now, but thank you for listening today. And then they see the change and it's a baby step. And then they go on and like, this is amazing. I, I didn't think I couldn't live without my oatmeal in the morning. Well, you really can. And their lives are improved. So, which is great. So I really don't recommend anything that I don't do for myself. Don't recommend to my family. Um, and then I experiment and then I go, okay, that makes the most sense. So, so that's kind of how I learn and master what it is I do. Yeah. I, I, I really like that. I love the self-experimentation and um, the willingness to learn and try things. Um, do you, on the point of carbohydrate addiction, do you, do you have patients that are, you know, it's, I think it's different for different people. I'm curious to hear what you think. Do you think there are people who can, uh, moderate to some degree? Um, you know, even if that means, you know, having a, a square of dark chocolate or something, you know, a little bit more mild, I'm not saying, you know, people who moderate having a cookie or a donut or something like that. Do you find there are patients who can have some type of moderation in carbs or is almost everyone need to be um, carnivore? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think that the ideal, I, I think the pure pureness of it is as far as the individual wants to take it. 
because I think that we all do respond differently. And, you know, I think it was uh, Gary Taubes or one of them says we have certain people have the predisposition, the genetic, genetic predisposition to fatten easily, right? And then there are some that are more lean by nature. So I think we all have this tolerance to it. But I think probably if we want to be as pure and as ideal as we can be, the eliminate, you know, the, the net intake of exogenous carbohydrates is probably zero. Now, species-wise, I can understand the mechanisms and why we've evolved to process and use carbohydrates because if in fall, like a bear, you see these sweet berries and you see honey, and we're going to consume those things to add in on some fat stores for a long potential hard winter. So I think that biologically we're there. Not necessarily that it should be a staple of our diet, but in some people, they can tolerate that better. So I think the mechanisms are there. I think everybody has to kind of do them. And I'm never one to judge them. But if you probably want ideal, optimal health, you probably have to try to get to that purest sense of you and whatever that is for you. And I say that if you're fighting a serious autoimmune disease or got forbid cancer or something like that, I think you should try to be as strict as you can to see if you get the outcomes from that. And then any deviation from that potentially has consequences. If that makes sense. I mean, because yeah. I certainly can't judge somebody, but when you take a 70-year-old who's, you know, got an A1C of nine and they're threatening to put him on, you know, injectable insulin, now's not the time to barter about whether or not you can have, you know, a Hershey kiss at night. Well, this is life and death and i'm sorry let's try to improve and you're always going to be a diabetic but gosh we don't want you to be an insulin diabetic let's do the best we can and then there's times well okay you're human you have a rough weekend i mean your granddaughter has a birthday you're gonna have a piece of cake okay move on don't beat yourself up or or think you're not um good as the next guy because that's not reality it's your you're responsible for you 100 percent yeah, yeah, I, I believe in that wholeheartedly. People should have the right to choose what they want yeah. to put in their bodies. And I've also found that the discussion now, because carbohydrates has become a, a, actually a topic of conversation now, because we've done such a good job of talking about it. A, the mainstream media is hammering us, you know, saying we're stroking people out, killing people, causing cancer. So that means we're doing the right thing if we're getting them to talk about it. But even carbohydrates and people's addictions to them, it's almost like talking politics with some people because they can't open their mind to realize that, boy, you're talking directly to me and this is uncomfortable. So they become defensive and then they immediately become dogmatic. Well, I, I could never do that. Well, no, you could. You just choose not to. Well, you know, my doctor says, well, your doctor is not educated like I am or even you could be because you can get the same information as they get because they don't get it in school just because they're called an MD or a doctor or anything. And we're not trained necessarily in that. So you are very often more educated than the doctor you consult with. So it becomes dogmatic and then they become threatened by their own questions. And then, you know, hey, maybe, maybe they are addicted too and they don't want to change yet. And that's okay. So you love them, you guide them, and you try to live by example and show them that it's not a... A plus B always equals a C response. It's an A plus B equals a better outcome, whatever that might be for the individual. Because, you know, I may lose 30 pounds and my A1C may go down, but, you know, Leo may only reduce two medications on his journey because he's been damaged for a longer period of time. So we're all different and we all have to honor that difference. 
you have patients who push back on you providing nutrition advice? You know, saying yeah, you know, um, I again, I don't, you don't walk into my office, fill out the intake form, and I, the first thing I say is, okay, do you eat meat? Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's like, hey, why are you here? Where do you want to be? Do you want to feel better? And then through my conversations, we'll just be like, oh, so you're eight, you know, I got to ask what's your diet like? So I do it very passively. It's very off the cuff. It's nothing that I even charge for. I don't have a brochure. I literally scribble websites and podcasts onto a paper. And I thought in my thinking and my freedom, I should create a form that I just hand out to people because it'd be a lot easier than gone. Okay. I don't think you'd like Dr. B. I don't think you'd like Bart K. So I'm going to send you to Dr. Barry. Or you might like Dr. Chafee better, right? I just, I just need to give a form because I try to target them. Then I hope, or they'll ask a question. And if I get them to ask me a question, then I feel that they're an open vessel. And then until they kind of push back, like I'm never going to throw somebody in my office because you know, they come in smelling like they just came from McDonald's. It is what it is. I'm going to love them, take care of them, and you know, provide my service, which they can't get anywhere else. And their life force is going to increase because of that. Could they be better? Absolutely. You know, and I explained that to him. I said, look, the healing journey is like making cement. You can have a little bit of sand, a little bit of cement, a little bit of water. Even if they're out of ratio, you'll still make cement. Is it going to be the strongest and best cement you can make? No. Same thing with your healing path. You come to the chiropractor, we clear your nervous system, your innate healing is flowing great. You eat like crap. Are you going to be as healthy as it could be? Probably not. You're stressed out, another variable. You don't sleep, right? So it's all part of that. And when they start to ask me questions about those aspects of life, then I try to tie it in what's best for them. And some people just go, I got a pain in my neck. I got a headache. I want you to make it go away. See them three or four times. I'm great. I'll see them in five years. What's the matter? My headache's back. No kidding. Shocker, right? But, you know, I, you just can't because I think because it becomes so targeted to some of their own beliefs, you have to love people and be careful with them. You know, I don't think it serves anybody by being, you know, hard-lined and dogmatic because I'd rather them continue the journey with me at their own pace, but feeding them that information. You know, if you say, this is the only way to do it, you're going to, you know, who, maybe culturally they have an opposition that they don't even know they have. So you got to kind of work with people where they are, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it makes perfect sense. I think you, you clearly uh, are very experienced with this and finding ways to... Um, nudge people is really an art and um you've you found a great way to do that where do yeah, you because, face i mean i i'm sorry yeah no, oh, I've no been, go ahead i've i've been guilty of my passion steamrolling people right and over the last almost 25 30 years of practice my passion can overrun people and they lose any of my message so i learned to give and to flow and to work with them and share through maybe stories or an experiment in that, you know, I just had this guy come in and he changed what he was, you know, sharing stories and then, oh, really? You know, so rather than steamrolling them, because I find when we're too passionate because we are out of a desperate need to share what we know with other people, we lose sight that my message is too much of like a fire hose to you at this moment. You're not ready for it. I need to find a way to just trickle it and then open up the door and then we can, then we'll run together with it. So that's. You know, yeah, I think anyone who's, who's passionate about helping people sometimes finds themselves in, in that uh, in that position, too. I, I Absolutely. Totally natural. Um, and uh, where do you face the most pushback from from patients or or um, even yourself, you know, talking to friends, family members 
where where do you see the most hesitation? You know, it, being a chiropractor, frankly, sets you up for this because chiropractic is in of itself is unique and different. And heck, I come from a long line of practitioners who uh, who fought back. And you know, I've shared the story before, and then a lot of people know, but. It was up until 1972, and I think Louisiana was the last state that made chiropractic legal to practice in the, in the United States. So in my lifetime, I've had dinner with chiropractors who went to jail because practicing chiropractic was illegal. So it's kind of crazy to think now because chiropractors are on the main street, they're all over the place. But, you know, we were so contrary to the healthcare system at the time that it was illegal. Guys got arrested for helping people in our model of delivery of healthcare. So <clears throat> being contrary to the normal, the norm, if you will, has kind of been ingrained in my DNA in a sense. So some of my blowback is, you know, people come in and they are, they come in with the typical headaches, back pain, low back pain or whatever, but very often I'm at that last list. I'm an often a last resort. They'll go to their primary, the primary will send them for some physical therapy, then they'll and that didn't work. They'll try a massage therapist. They might try acupuncture. Then they go to an orthopedist. Then they're threatening surgery. And thankfully, the orthopedic realm has become extremely more conservative over the last 20 years where they're like, look, unless it's a significant quality of life or a really significant problem, we're not, we don't want to do surgery, you know, because we know that that may not be your best outcome. So I'm grateful for them for maturing in that realm. So very often that patient is left, unfortunately, on medications depression, lack of movement. They don't feel like they can go to the gym. So they become this, ugh, this, this unhealthy ball of clay. And then they say, well, you know, I'll try chiropractic. So I'm very often getting these people who lack resort. They're so blown out and busted that their healing potential is so below threshold that they're just miserable. So a lot of times, almost anything I say to them, they're resistant. And sadly, in our society, with everybody being diagnosed a condition, fibromyalgia, although the symptoms are real, that's a descriptive diagnosis, X, Y, Z. If you're diagnosed with that, that becomes your thing. You can commiserate it. You can get a Facebook group fan page on it. You can talk to other people about it. It somewhat becomes a crutch potentially. But then if you find something that's helping you move through that health journey in a positive way, but it's taking away your identifying diagnosis, People will self-sabotage themselves because they're conditioned and rewarded to be sick in our society. It's sad. Look at every TV commercial. It's about an ailment. It's about sickness. There's not one commercial to say, go out for a walk, get some sunshine, you'll be healthy. We don't celebrate health and vitality. We reward sickness with, you know, ribbon colors and this and that. And I'm not disparaging those poor people who are sick and ill, but we got to move forward. That is not, your diagnosis does not define where you are in health. So a lot of times if I tell people, look, go for a walk every hour, go for a five-minute walk, get up, walk around, move your body. I can't do that. No, you can. You need to. Like, it's even the littlest things. Like, I don't tell a patient who's in chronic pain, give me five-minute walk in the morning, five-minute walk at night, sit out in the sun, and you know what? Drink more water. Put some ice on it. Let's try to do something positive. And pretty soon in that dialogue, you'll see if they're trying, right? Because they'll come in and go like, hey, you know, I walked seven minutes today. Amazing. That's a, a life-changing event for you because you haven't walked in 10 years. That's awesome. So one of the biggest blowbacks I get is sometimes it's self-sabotage in their own healing journey because they truly 
at this point in their life, they don't want to get better, although they're seeking. And that for me is heartbreaking because it makes me sometimes just frustrated because like, look, it's, I'm not the answer, but I have the answer. Stop doing this or try this or go see this special. Ah, doesn't make sense. Well, no, I think that's what you need. You have nothing else. You're just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And some people like that. And, and, and I and shame on the, not to get your podcast in trouble, but shame on the big entities that reward and profit from sickness. There's very few industries that profit from wellness and reduction of any intervention. Because when you reduce an intervention, there's less profit. But very often when you make somebody healthy enough to reduce the numbers of interventions, the healthier they become. There's zero profit in making people well. And that's, that's enormous. I mean, that's in every healthcare. It's hard. It's very hard. If that made any sense. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Do you think that that paradigm can shift though? Yeah, um, I'm hoping so. And I'm thinking that, you know, when I was in chiropractic school and talking to some of my older mentors, they said, you know, how were your parents help? I said, well, they're sick. And they unfortunately died of some of the dead, bad diseases. Did you learn from that? A little bit. So we're hope. We hope that the generations that come ahead of us see where we're living right now. But like my comment from before, I said, we are just so sick as a society. We don't even know we're sick. And I think we're distracted and, and fed information on a very timely, scripted reason to, to take the ability of somebody to choose what health is for their own individual self away. You know, if you go to most doctors, and I empathize for a lot of medical doctors because they're not trained in wellness, they're pressed for financial outcome. I mean, they're getting crushed by insurance companies. They're, getting, they're seeing so many patients. The documentation is ridiculous. And they're being fed information on pharmaceuticals and helped by the pharmaceutical reps. So they're not even like having time to figure out what they feel their truths are. They're just following that script. You come up with a symptom, we do this. And if that doesn't work, you do B. So there's really not that time to sit down and go, where you at? You know, what's going on with you? Oh, I just, you lost your daughter last week. That's horrible. Of course your blood, you know what I mean? They don't even have that time to build those relationships. So I hope that through the things that you do, even as crazy as TikTok is and some of these social media platforms, if we can get that message out to more and more people, I think that if we can target those people that are counterculture by nature, then it's becoming more of them, but in a positive way, they look, you don't want to be like your parents. You don't want to be, you know, like your peers, be more healthy than your peers. Um, we hopefully can do it, but it's a multi-bazillion dollar business. It's, it's entrenched in some of our families. It's entrenched in even my own family. I have frustration speaking to my outer family. Like, you know, do you really think you need eight medications at this point? Like maybe, one might be, you know, what's going on with you? Oh, you don't eat, you know. So, yeah, it, it's extremely frustrating. And the hope is that there's so much message going around. We have to outride the negative that immediately comes. You know, you see Dr. Berry on women's health. Boy, the media is releasing, you know, studies, quote, unquote, that, you know, carnivore or keto will kill you. You know, well, no, not really, but they spin that data. So it is a constant, never-ending battle. and We just need to keep telling our story telling the truth and sharing it in a loving way that other people can at least open up their minds to go, huh, I never thought of it that way. All right, let me, let me read more about it. Let me, let me not eat that hamburger on that cheeseburger today and see what happens. Oh my God, I didn't die. You know, I mean, so 
that's a hard question and I ponder it because I have little kids and and you try to live by example and they you know the school lunch is just god awful and you try to have them you try to teach them better choices without hitting them so hard with it that they become resistive right because you don't want to be that way because if you hit somebody hard enough then they'll spring back so that's a very hard thing to do and I just think we have to keep sharing the message in a positive format. And that message delivery is different today than it was 10 years ago. And it will be different 10 years from now. I mean, I don't even know how we're going to, what communication will look like then. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I like to think optimistically about this. And I think I echo um, a lot of your thoughts around, you know, stuff like these podcasts and folks like you and, people on social media having an impact um, and opening up people's perspective. I'm also, frankly, optimistic about uh, capitalist pharmaceutical companies. I think, you know, with with AI and technological innovation, in the next 10 years, we're going to see drugs that can, like, eliminate obesity and a lot of modern health diseases, I hope. Um, And that's not to say it's a substitute for these types of things. Um, but, um, I think, you know, I'm, I'm pro, um, pro, pro medicine if it can solve people's problems. Um, and I think, you know, I am optimistic about science and optimistic about, uh, this movement and, you know, people, people focusing more on, on, um, eating food that supports their health. Yeah, I, you know, I agree. And I think science is an important endeavor. We just have to really try to get the bureaucracy and somewhat profit out yeah, of it. Yeah, there's, there's same thing, same thing with healthcare. I mean, sure. I mean, God forbid we were born with a child that had, you know, juvenile onset diabetes. You know, I am grateful that the pharmaceutical companies are there. I wish and pray that the technology could continue to advance so that their quality of lives are improved. Um, but yet we need to focus our entire healthcare system away from being reactive meaning oh we're come up we're, we have now five different medications for your type 2 diabetes when probably 90 percent of them can be corrected you know or at least reduced for the need and possibly corrected if you ate the way you were supposed to yeah. throughout your 20s totally. or 30s totally so agree. when a company is rewarded by profit by finding a uh chemical or cog or, or a substance that you know, modifies physiology for positive results without the questioning of does it actually improve the health, longevity, quality of life of the individual? Because those questions are never asked. You can look at a statin study and go, wow, that statin did reduce that one variable. But they never asked, did it increase quality of life? Did it increase longevity? Did it make them a better human being? No, because we don't want to know about that because we're not rewarded for that. So I think our entire paradigm, and I don't know how that can be changed other than at a grassroots effort, to say, yeah, I'm kind of glad that there is that medical field because, gosh, if one of my kids got really hurt or sick or was beyond that innate ability to heal, I'm glad they're there to help put us together. But the next step would be we need to find out what can we do to make you more healthy. For example, a 40-year-old comes in and has a heart attack. I am so grateful that that emergency room is there. You know, even listening to Dr. Baker, hey, you know, for a short period of time, maybe you need a statin just to put your, you know, just to get you off of this 
immense situation you have, but that's where healthcare stops currently. So now you're a customer for life rather than, hey, medical care was crisis intervention and we're top of the game of that. But yet, what can we do now to make you better so you don't have to rely on that system? There is really nothing there right now to do that other than people like yourself and crazy chiropractors like me or, you know, people who are at least trying to ask questions. And they may have to be on a certain medication for life, but yet the goal should always be to do to optimize the innate healing ability of that individual to go back to as natural as they can be and whatever that might be. And that's different for every person. So we need to kind of find that bridge from crisis intervention to quality of life and optimal health for life with something. And it's almost like it's a healthcare discipline that doesn't exist at this point. Yeah. And I think I, I agree with everything you said. And I think um, I'm hopeful also that with the proliferation of things like artificial intelligence and democratization of information, some of the misaligned incentives will also be exposed, you know, like some of the information, very outdated information about, um, you know, servings of whole grains you need a day and things like this will just be torn apart for the lack of scientific basis. Um, You know, fiber recommendations, for instance, I'm hopeful that, you know, some of these technologies and tools will be able to say, actually, we can very quickly scan through all the available research and there isn't a great basis for you needing 40 grams of fiber a day. That right. comes out of nowhere. I mean, maybe this is me being too much of a dreamer optimist about technology, but I'm hopeful that some of these things will also accelerate the movement of people focusing on educating themselves, experimenting for themselves, finding ways to improve their health and well-being outside of relying on medical intervention too. Well, I absolutely think, you know what, in, in even before AI, people like yourself and the other people who are now on social media and podcast, you're doing that in of yourself, right? Because you are connecting to people in a way that was unheard of even five years ago. And, you, you know, five years ago, pre-pandemic, this, you and me talking via a computer, sharing to who, may, who knows how many people I'm going to share, you're going to share, was unheard of, you know, and then the ability even before that, it was fax machines and stuff like that. So just that natural progression of creating our own tribe will start to then, you know, we're going to develop layers and layers. We're going to have subsets of that and we're going to fight and we're going to disagree, but that's where knowledge and understanding comes from. And I think we have to have, I've never been in talking to Casey. He was so ramped up from coming back from that low carb um, sort of what I have to go to one of these. Yeah, I have to go to one of these because it sounds like an amazing gathering of like-minded people. It really is. I've, and, I've been to a few. and then we learn and we share and, you know, and then we just kind of grow that way. So, yeah, I, I you know, I'm optimistic like yourself and you've made me more optimistic um, <laughs> thinking that there are more people like us. And maybe, you know, I'm not even keen. I, I don't even know what AI is, although I've seen some pretty funny videos that maybe people <laughs> like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, so that you hope that that next generation of communication will help sift out some of the untruths and and, and expose those untruths and where the the genesis of, because if people understand where the genesis of some of these recommendations come from, they'd always go, oh yeah, that that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we have to have almost like a Freedom of Information Act and all things and be transparent because in our industry, 
chiropractors recommend crap to people all the time that are garbage. So it's no different than a pharmaceutical yep. company profiting off of something. It's it's using your influence to sell a product for the pure sake of profit. And I think that is wrong. Yeah. Whether it be information yeah. or a supplement or a tangible product. And we've seen yeah. that with some influencers recently. They're full of yeah. crap and they're offering it for huge profit. And honestly, they don't care. Well, that's not the right use of the ability to reach people. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's the challenge is we have all these structures set up, whether it's big food, big pharma that um, are so entrenched and are so deep within research, government, um, and have such a large influence there. Um, even if you don't believe half of what is true about how these, how these companies can influence um, policy and, and um, it, they're still very powerful. And uh, that trickles down and, and um, makes it very hard for people to change. It makes it even hard for people to be able to make the right choices. You know, just from an availability standpoint, there are large, large portions of the population who, you know, they, they walk into their local store. They might be in a food desert. They might not have access to fresh meat and vegetables. It's, it's amazing. Um, and so I think it's, it's really... Uh, it's going to take monumental change for uh, a lot of those things to to be disrupted. Um, and so I'm hopeful that something like artificial intelligence, I'm not an expert on it by any means, uh, but I've been listening to a lot of podcasts about it. Something like that can help, like you say, create more freedom of information, um, make people more liberated, more aware, um, and, and get more of this out there. And, and yeah, I, I think in a way, podcasts and uh, social media are kind of that technology. Um, and we've seen that impact. So I'm hopeful that that can, you know, continue and accelerate. Yeah. And I also pray for the uh, open mindedness of a, some of our influencers to get along with other influencers um, and be the healthcare practitioner too, because one of the things that, you know, upsets me is I'll provide information to a patient. They'll bring it to their primary because I would never recommend somebody, Hey, stop taking xyz it's not my scope i don't think it's the right thing to do unless you're guided with that i'll explain to them my opinions on some of that stuff but i never say like this don't go off of metformin it's not my job to tell you that but have your doctor monitor you on this new change that you're making and if you're making a change that warrants a change or modification of your protocol then ask for it like try to get off of it and they get and sometimes the physicians get so mad that their patient might know something more about something than they do unfortunately their ego comes up and then the client gets shut down the patient gets shut down and then they get defeated because you know now you have these two conflicting things so i pray that everybody's ego goes away for the betterment of the person that you're serving so that we can actually just work together to make that person a better person and that's hard to find and i think with what you were saying, yeah, the more educated the people are, the, the easier this information will come out to not only the layperson, but the healthcare practitioner, or maybe they're going to see a change because their health is falling apart and they're smart enough to realize I should do this. So then they'll share it. So I think that that wave, when we start to educate our patient base to become more smart or smarter than their physicians in certain aspects, the physicians are going to have to at least ask the question, well, what are these guys all talking about? So I, I think some of that momentum will come. 
and as the younger doctors come through and, and if you talk to, I was talking to some orthopedists just last night that have, you know, new doctors that are in their early thirties, he's like, I got to learn how to communicate with these young doctors. It's totally different. Like, so these younger guys are coming across your podcast or somebody else's podcast and they might be because of their own personal in, interests, then they would add that into their, at least their knowledge base. So I think flooding everybody with the right information is vitally important. Yeah. Yep. Well, um, you're doing fantastic work, Chris. I really appreciate uh, you coming on here, sharing your story, sharing your perspectives. Um, you're in the trenches. You're helping people. It's it's really awesome to see. Um, where can folks find out more about you and um, look into working with you if that's something they're interested in? Sure. My way, my my main website is docblack.com. D-O-C, B-L-A-C-K.com. Um, I did, I do have a YouTube channel. I really share stuff on it. Uh, Chiropractic Carnivore, also on Instagram. Um, just call me. My cell phone number is right on the website. I love to talk. I love to stretch my thinking by working and learning with other people because selfishly, I benefit from every encounter that I have. You know, I help a patient, but I've learned from them. So to me, this is a journey that fortifies my beliefs and my understanding. So by me working with other people and sharing ideas, it just only helps me become healthier and better. So whatever I can do to help the community, I'm always there for. That's awesome. Well, I'll have links to that in the show notes. And thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for listening to the show. You can find The Scott My Show on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Please leave a comment, like, review, or share the podcast with your friends or followers. It helps more people find the show.